Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2019. My name is Amato, and with me are... Sailor Tori. And Dom the Cat, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, is Dom the name of any female moon goddess in any mythology? I could... Uh, Domocles. <laughs> That's Greek Domocles. and not a... It's a different... It's a king. That's much better, yes. sword. <laughs> Well, how's everyone doing tonight? Great. Mm-hmm. Fine and or dandy. Pretty yeah. good. I'm also doing great because my energy has been revived since we're finally back to Sailor Moon. We've yes. held off as long as we could. Yes, as long as we could being how many episodes? Uh, so, you know, Amato's actually, uh, what do they call them, Sailor Moon? Yoma? Yeah, know. yeah. Whose uh, energy needs to be powered by Sailor Moon fan fiction. Needs to be powered by talking about Sailor Moon fan Right. <laughs> so, like, he gets slowly weaker the longer we go without right. talking about Sailor Moon. I, I would relate that more to Ale and Anne, whose energy can only be replenished mm. by the Doom Tree, because true, they are the remaining true. members of that species. And Comic Book Guy. Are they, are they, they're technically Yoma, too, right? No, not they're monsters. No, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember the Japanese words as well as... The English ones in the yeah. dub, they were just like, eh, everyone from there the first aliens. couple seasons are from the Negaverse, <laughs> yeah. I guess they really did something weird with that dub, but, and it screwed with my brain ever since, like, because yeah. that was the first way I saw it since a small child. Yeah, they're just children of the tree, or in other words, space elves, mm-hmm. pastel space elves. Honestly, there's not enough pastel space elves in media in general, they're also very like new wave fashion looking, you know. Mm-hmm. Great 80s. I'm sorry, I was just thinking about Spock being pastel. Yeah, see, wouldn't that be better? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like half his hair is blue, there's a streak of pink yeah. in it. Yeah, pastel glam rocker Spock. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's only logical. I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure they could find some way for it to be logical. Well, this time we're not really talking Yoma, we're not really talking children of the Doom or non-Doom tree. We're talking Sailor Stars. This story for today, Romeo and Minako, is very, very specifically based on Sailor Stars, which holds a special place in my heart because I started getting into Sailor Moon back in the day where it was a lot easier to find Sailor Stars than anything else in Japanese, because it was the season that was not translated in, or not released in English, right? So they were like, we can distribute that and yeah, subtitle that's it. Yeah, they, they did release a subtitled version of it, right? Oh, just recently, they've finally done it dubbed and subtitled. Officially. Oh, so they dubbed it finally. Wow, yes. that's amazing. I never thought they would. Well, it's just because it's no longer on, you know, whatever prime time, not prime time, but like public television, right. cable, sure whatever it was on. They don't have to worry about airing it on TV. I'm not sure Deke still has their claws in it. <laughs> oh, no, they, oh, they don't. Do yeah, that, that's that been gone a long time, but it's a Cloverway surprise. did the second half. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. They just picked up where Deke left off. That's right. That's you why know. things stopped being Nega, or at least as Nega. <laughs> which, which is especially what surprises me that they never dubbed stars. I guess they have now, but because it was like long after they stopped airing it on TV, they could have just done that at some point, any point, really. They did do it. It just took them forever. It just took them forever. But, but I know yeah. what you mean. Like, there was an audience. There's yeah. been an audience. People would have bought DVD box sets of that back when people bought DVD box sets. Mm-hmm. But they just 
didn't until very recently with the newest rights holders. I've never been happy about any DVD box that I've bought. Really? It's always been regret. (laughs) Always regret. Yes. Let me try to think of a counterpoint. I don't know. I I bought all those Sailor Moon VHS tapes and I of all the movies and I loved that. That something nice about having something in a box. <laughs> and I have a box set of um what do I have a box set of? Evangelion maybe. Something was nice. I bought a nice box. I think it was Ava. I like that. Nice box. Nice box. Climb in the box, play in it, you've got a good time. Mm-hmm. Um I bought that box set of Super Gal season one. And it was dirt cheap, mm-hmm. and I lent it to you. Mm-hmm. And I was just satisfied by the amount of anime I was getting for the extremely <laughs> cheap price. <laughs> and how'd that work out for you in the long run? In the long run, I... Mm. Uh, what long run? <laughs> in the long run, I never thought about Super Gals again until this moment. Like, I think I bought a... I bought the season one box out of Buffy. And I'm not that happy with that. It's not the best season. Mm. I bought, like... Gargoyles. Oh. You you were satisfied with your gargoyles there purchase, was a, right? That was like two or three CDs. <laughs> Hardly a box set, but yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. Gargoyles is on DVD? Yeah, at least the first season. It was, but they never finished it. I think they did the second season sometime afterwards. I thought they did like the first half of the second season. Maybe I'm thinking of Pete and Pete, where they only got through the half of the second season. <laughs> They're very easy to confuse. They're very similar uh, story structures. I just, you know, I, when I wanted to rewatch Gargoyles, I had to, like, maybe a little, it was probably, like, a decade ago or so, I just had to, like, dig through the internet and find a torrent file and, like, wait for three days while the, like, three seeders let me torrent I mean, it. I mean, that's what I actually did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Getting back to topic, then, Tori, when did you watch Sailor Stars? Um, high school. Okay. So, but it was after I'd read the manga. I think it was high school. As soon as I could find it, you know, like, and, and this was probably on YouTube at the time, the advent of YouTube. So it's, it's, I definitely read the manga, my like all of the manga in my freshman year of high school, because I was finally out at the library. And then I think I was maybe that same year that I was finally able to find stars, maybe the year after, mm-hmm. um, fan subbed on the internet. I got most of my Sailor Moon from you. I think. What, me? Yes, you. No. <laughs> and I think Stars might have been what you started me off on. I think it's the first one I had. Yeah, How did I had you the old R- it? I had the old RMs. I don't remember where I got them. Oh, it right, because the people used to just pass those things around. It was the yeah, old days of the right. anime internet. Yeah, there'd just be sites. Yeah. I remember, yeah, getting, like, DVDs from classmates in middle school that had just gotten them at some site they happened to know of because they'd found it some way through some message board through something-something. But, yeah, watch them through the real media files. Real yes. player. Mm. Man, see you in hell. <laughs> and the thing about Stars is that it's a kind of a terrible place to start. Yes. Um, it also... It's a weird place to start. The plot has some issues, but, like, you love the first episode of Sailor Stars, and it's a bunch of characters who clearly have developed relationships talking to each other about stuff mm-hmm. for the first half. Yeah. And then this, in the second half, it's like, oh, here's some completely different characters who clearly have some completely <laughs> other developed relationships doing com- totally other stuff. And, you know, that's the outer senshi, so it's cool. But it's like, I think that's one of the reasons I was intrigued, because before that I'd seen, like, three episodes dubbed at a friend's house way back in the day. But watching that first episode, you definitely get more of a sense of there being ongoing stuff than is probably actually the case most of the time in Sailor Moon. 
Yeah, I was gonna say like it's been actually been a while now that it occurs to me that I've I watched Stars especially because I kind of go through watching Sailor Moon and then I just like don't go that far. But it's also been over five years since I really watched Sailor Moon. I watched it so many times before that. It's been like okay, I know, but I would look at rewatching Stars. But I do remember feeling like it was kind of almost like a standalone thing. Like the characters felt a little different. And, like, the flavor was a little different, and the relationships were different. And then the insertion of the sailor stars really challenged, like, all of their relationships. The starlights, yeah. The starlights, yeah, sorry. So, Amato gave me sailor stars first, and then afterwards he started feeding me some of the old stuff. Yeah. I got super bad Usagi character whiplash. (laughs) Because Usagi and sailor stars is completely different than the rest of Usagi. Like, Usagi has grown into a respectable character at that but by stars i think yeah yeah that's, that's probably mostly true the weird part is like the characters feel like they're diff- characterized differently but that's i'm sure not really a bad thing like they grow right well sort of honestly dom you probably avoided some whiplash by watching stars and then s because if you watch supers super s in between those two seasons mm. she whiplashes way harder back into the like that's a good immature direction one. yeah 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 like season one levels and it's just because the tone of that season, that's kind of what they want her for. Right. And the characters definitely have that where it's like, the they're kind of at the mercy of the tone and the authors, like, like all characters, I'm sure. But like, you know, almost a little bit more in the superhero comics direction where it's like, what Nightcrawler will we have under this author? <laughs> right. Let us see. Well, what I find interesting is like, and I'll admittedly say it's been a little while since I've read the manga, but... I remember the manga feeling like Usagi kind of had like a a natural superhero arc. Like she started out, you know, not knowing what she was doing. And then she became like stronger and stronger as Sailor Moon. Like, Mm -hmm. of course, she was still kind of herself when she wasn't Sailor Moon, but she felt like she became a stronger and stronger character. But I think that whiplash factor in the anime is a totally correct (laughs) way to put it. Like, because it does feel like she bounces back depending on whether there's like more immediate threats or whether they want to spend more time on their day-to-day social life or not. I think it's fine just as long as you end with stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that seems fair. It is a season, however, that's very concerned with people's day-to-day social life, which I think is one of its strengths. Mm-hmm. It has some Agreed. horrible weaknesses as well. And this fanfic, Romeo and Minako, has a little bit of Sailor Moon action, like Sailor Senshi action, but mostly it's character high school stuff. And do we want to talk about it at all? No, we shouldn't talk about this fanfiction at all. Why would we talk about fanfiction? I mean, who would be interested in hearing that? Podcast oh, well, over. that's another question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like to hear myself talk. Mm-hmm. So how about we go ahead and go into the fanfic? Great. Great. That's really the whole purpose of this podcast anyway. <laughs> so Romeo and Minako. This is a 2000 fanfic by Kotetsu. Now, Kotetsu, back in the day was a big fish in the extremely small pond of Sailor Starlight's fans on the internet hmm. because they ran pretty much the good website about them, which is called Starlight Pops. That was back in the day where running a good shrine to a character with like lots of information and resources was actually a useful service that was Super important. Super useful, yeah. yeah. That, that would put you on the web ring for sure. Just oh, yeah. Sign that guest book. I mean... Honestly, there was hardly any point of going anywhere besides Starlight Pops, (laughs) if I remember correctly. Um, Anyway, it opened in 2000, they published this fanfic in 2000, and they hosted other Starlights-related fanfiction on that site. Now, it's a little obscure for 
what I usually choose. Like, usually when I say I want to choose a fanfic that I have some reason to think might be good, it's that somebody else on the internet said it was good. And in this case, it's more like, I remember reading it way back in the day, and it's sticking in my mind as being pretty entertaining. It's a Yaten Minako shipping fanfic. And if I was going to choose the orthodox story, I would have chosen Yaten's Love Song by Jennifer Wand as our Yaten Minako fanfic, but I like to court controversy, baby. Is that the uh, fanfic that they suggest at the end? The Probably. It was like the one. Um, if you want to read a real amazing Yaten Minako romantic fic, check out Yaten's Love Song. Yeah, that would be the one. <laughs> I, I did notice when I was looking into this online that this fanfic did win an award from a site called Nagareboshi Project for Best Yaten Fanfic in the month of December 2002. Hmm. Yaten's Love Song won it the next month. <clears throat> that site had, like, awards by Starlight character or by group <laughs> every month. Monthly Starlight's Fanfic Awards seem a little ambitious to me. There were multiple months where they're like, uh, oh yeah, nobody voted for a Yaten fanfic this month, or like a Taiki fanfic this month, sorry. Which leads me to believe that some people might have won awards based on a single person recommending them. Hmm. Well, it's probably just a very complicated bureaucracy system. <laughs> That's why it took them two years to get their award for this fanfic. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> uh, no, it's just that they have to get, you know, more than a two-thirds majority, so there has oh, to be, right, like, a right. recount and a revote every time. You need a quorum of Starlight's fans in order to even, like, award them in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it seemed like they were stretching it a bit, but at least it received some identifiable outside praise, I guess. I mean, you're, you're the researcher, so... <laughs> yeah. We'll take your word for it. Now, this story is set during the Sailor Stars series at a very specific point. It's basically just at the point before everybody finds out each other's superhero identities. Right. Which makes sense to me because it's maximum time for having the characters be familiar with each other and possibly able to fall in love with each other and not having things be complicated by, you know, outside high school plot. Right. Yeah. And I don't remember them all going to the same high school. Is that, did they? Everyone except Ray. That's really... And Ray still doesn't go to this high school. She they still goes never... to TAA Girls Academy. That's right. She just goes on. Because they had progressed on to high school at this point. Yeah, Juban High yeah. School. My first cosplay ever was Taiki in the Juban High School boys' uniform. <laughs> it's a good one. I, I always wanted to cosplay. Um, yeah, I think it was. No, it wasn't Taiki. Maybe it was Yaten. There was one oh, of them. You should have done Yaten. Or Seiya. I can't remember. Those are your Yaten. options. <laughs> one of them. It was like one of them. Uh, anyway. I always had brown hair, which is why I kept thinking Taiki. But. Mm-hmm. I was tall, which is why I thought Taiki. Yeah, I'm not tall, <laughs> which really threw me off. Like, all of my Sailor Moon desired cosplays were, like, the tall ones. Like, I really wanted to do um, Sailor Uranus, and then I really mm-hmm. wanted to do, like, you know, the Starlights. But they were the tall ones, and I am not. It would be too intimidating, I think, for me, because they're all so tall and gorgeous <laughs> yeah, short. i know yeah i'm not really sure i want to draw that well, immediate comparison <laughs> yaten's the shorter one but yaten's still taller than like all of the inner sunshine that's true when you start looking at their actual official heights it's bizarre and frightening and scary where it's like oh mako yeah she's like five seven you're like what no that's <laughs> that's impossible she towers she's like a head taller than anyone else and they're like oh yeah well 
Well, you Usagi's, know, Usagi's like, like five, five foot, foot one or something. Yeah. Yeah. The Japanese official dimensions, including height and weight, have always been a bit of a mystery of how they decide that. They, they don't really <laughs> have a good realistic grasp of reality. <laughs> anyway, this fanfic. Uh, lots of high school shenanigans. We'll start in on the premise and the basic outline, because it doesn't take that long to describe the main outline of the story. No. Taiki sets themselves up to be the to direct the show for the drama department. And it's easy to do that because they're a celebrity and the drama department wants that attention, right? Mm-hmm. And they they're doing it in order to specifically produce Romeo and Juliet and uh, use it for a plot. So the very first scene, is it like the first scene? Is like Taiki basically manipulating then slash bullying Yaten into trying out as the first scene is explained to, uh, oh, to Seiya. Uh, Seiya why they can't be Romeo. Oh, yeah, I like that scene because Seiya's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be Romeo, right? And right. he's like, no, you would be a great Mercutio. And Seiya's like, yeah, but Romeo's the lead and I want to be Romeo. <laughs> yeah. Th- those are both excellent points because, like, uh, Seiya would be a great Mercutio and yes. also there's no way Seiya wouldn't try to be the star. Right. It, yeah. it, it's good Seiya because, yeah, that's kind of Seiya all over. It's just like getting excited about something and being vaguely... And it's also like addressing a major flaw in the plot right ahead and getting ahead of it and working it out. Yeah. Yeah. So Taiki has to eventually explain what they're doing to Seiya just to get Seiya to, like, not audition for Romeo. But we, the audience, don't find that out for some time. He's just, like... You get his reaction of... Um... Like, it's a really funny scene because Taiki, like, drops to his knee and cra- and clasps Seiya's hand. And, s- and then it's like, Seiya's jaw dropped. Nani? Which is annoying fan Japanese. But there's not a ton of it in this, so it's there, okay. It's a little, it's there's a consistent a trickle, yeah. Uh, there's yeah. a ton. <laughs> it, I didn't find it too obtrusive, but when it does come in, it's, like, really weird. But anyway... <laughs> One of um, the fan Japanese is the kind of like misconceptions about Japan that occasionally appear. We can put, put yeah. a pin in that when we come back to that. Yeah, we will. Yeah. Anyway, it's kind of yeah, a funny thing. You know, it could be that people are, that some audience members are less familiar with the Starlights. So let me just lay them out real quickly. <laughs> Taiki is a pretentious intellectual and they're horrible. Mm-hmm. Yaten yeah. is a misanthrope and they're horrible. Mm-hmm. And Sei is friendly and outgoing and horrible. Yeah. Yeah, they're all pretty much horrible, which. It's really sad because, like, I always had this intuition when I was young watching the show. I was like, they're so cool. They should be good people, but then they keep doing shitty things. Yeah. And I, like, I think that was the mental disconnect and the reason that I had such a hard time watching Stars is because I really wanted to like the characters. And then, Well, part of the yeah. problem is that the show wants you to like the characters, and they're just yeah. like, haha, say I doesn't understand consent, but that's okay, right? Because they're right. lovable. It's like, no, yeah, no, you're, like you're horrible. Stop so it. so much pressure on Usagi, and like, anyway. She's like, don't call me Odango Atama. And Seiya's like, ah, but you love it, right? Yeah. They're that guy. Of course, it's that same message that a lot of media puts out. So, yeah. it, it wasn't unfamiliar to me at the time, it just made the character less I don't know harder to understand I suppose so what are these terrible characters doing in the story well like I said Taiki manipulates and bullies Yaten into auditioning for Romeo mm-hmm. f- partially by appealing to like their smug sense of superiority over everyone else where you know they show Yaten Romeo and Juliet and Yaten's like oh yeah that's a great play but are these like Philistines going to appreciate this complicated story and like beautiful language 
And Taiki spins that and goes, that's why we need a great actor to convey it to them and to show the beauty. And Yatin's like, yeah, who, where are you going to find such a great actor here? And Taiki's like, glad you asked. <laughs> You're doing it. Or else. Yeah, they're like, we, we need somebody to show them how accessible this play really is to the everyday youth. Right. Part of what Taiki says is that like Yatin will face a challenge portraying it characters so utterly different from their own sensibilities. Right, because Yahoo's like, Romeo's all childish and, you know. And immature, yeah, yeah. Which, which isn't inaccurate, so. No. Brash and uncouth is a few of the words they use. Right, so, it, so eventually Taiki forces Yahoo to do this. The other half of the plan is that over in conversation with the inner senshi, we've got Ami fairly smoothly steering the conversation towards like, hey, we should all try to do a club activity together. What's something we all can do together? Let's go look at the billboard about the things that are going on with club activities. Yes. And <laughs> Hello, I, fellow young people. <laughs> <laughs> I am into fun and activities that do not involve computers <laughs> and math. And I, I think this part of the plan was fairly well laid out because Minako sees that they are, that the school's doing Romeo and Juliet. Hmm. and immediately decides to audition for Juliet. Right. And that seems pretty on point. And then Ami's like, yes, this is great. We can all do something on this show and work together, and I will do the lights. <laughs> and Mako will... What was Mako going to do? Oh, yeah, of course, Cost- the costumes. Costumes. And Ray does not go to this school. And he's like, <laughs> he's like what can I do? You can be there, too. You can be there, <laughs> yeah. too. And then ends Perfect. up bringing the snacks, I guess. Yeah. That, that's uh, kind of cute that they eventually... Like, she's in the program in the end as official caterer just because she's always bringing snacks for everyone. Yeah. Good stuff. And, and do we want to, when do we want to address the weird structure of this? Oh, uh, I guess any time. Well, you know, this is kind of where it starts is at the beginning of scene two, like before they have that conversation. They're having a conversation, like, about Sailor Scout stuff, like about Galaxia and the Sailor Animates. It should be Anima Mates. But Anim- yeah, I don't... I, I'm not saying that's a good name. I'm just saying that is the name. Yeah, I don't... But, but, but I the author know. says Anim- Animates. Animates, like, yeah. Like but the store in Japan, Anim... Isn't that what it's called? Animate? It's like, like that chain store for anime goods. <laughs> I don't know. But... Uh, I could be I, wrong. It, it sounds like, um... Like, sort of like an automata thing. What is that other word? It's like anim... Animate. Well, yeah, but not directly that word. Anyway, but they do this. The author does this thing at the beginning of that scene where it's literally Shakespeare's dialect lifted and placed into the scene and adjusted. And it happens very abruptly because none of that happens in the first scene. And then the second one, it's like Makoto, Minako on my world will not will not carry coals. Minako, no, for then we should be colliers. Makoto, I mean, and we be in collar, will draw. Ami, I, will you live, draw your neck out of collar. Usagi, I strike quickly, being moved. Minako, but thou art not mo- quickly moved to strike. I thought Usagi, that was good. Uh, yeah, a dog of the House of Galaxia moves me. And I you're think, like, okay, yeah. I, these, I yeah. believe these are just rewritten Shakespeare parts. Yeah, they, uh, from Romeo and Juliet. In, yeah. yeah, they but all they are. are. And um, the way it's cute is that after doing that, they will immediately break back into just normal writing, normal dialogue. And, you know, the implication being they weren't, they weren't literally saying the Shakespeare. 
It's just like that's what the author is doing kind of to set a Shakespearean stage on a few of the scenes. Yeah, but it's very abrupt. And especially the way this starts with one of the very like quippy and humorous um, interchanges, which has a lot of the collar and, you know, Collier, those are all references that you would need to like look at. The author does provide footnotes, by the way. So when you go to the footnotes, you can't understand the references, but you would, if you're trying to read through these quick quips, you would need to know exactly what was being spoken in order to understand it. So I feel like it comes in very abrupt and then it changes very abruptly back to the other conversation about, um, well, I guess they kind of finish out their conversation in normal contemporary dialect about um, this, about Galaxia and all that, and then switch into talking about the play. So it's kind of weird how many transi- transitions happen very quickly in that span of time. Well, this whole thing is really more of a Romeo and Juliet fan fiction also. I almost wonder if this is a crossover, but it's not. they're not in the universe of Romeo and Juliet. They're just talking about the play. So it didn't really seem too odd to me to randomly put that sort of... Um, pastiche in there because as narrow band as this podcast is (laughs) the audience for this fanfic is people who are very familiar with theater very familiar with shakespeare and also say the moon stars Mm -hmm. so they weren't going for any sort of general audience they were just writing something that amused them yeah yeah that's fair i mean I, i hear you and i feel like that's an appropriate justification however like even from my background you know I was like very heavily emphasizing Shakespeare in my study in, you know, as an English major. I love Shakespeare and I love Sailor Moon. I love them pretty much equally and it's it's a lot of love. I still felt that this was very abrupt. I think you're right, Tori. That was a hard scene to go in on because other times the Shakespeare is much easier to read. And that one specifically, it's hard to follow. But in general, I wasn't quite sure why it was necessary. Hmm. It's not. It's not necessary. Or why. Or, well, yeah, but why it existed like what the purpose of it was because it was fun that, yeah that was I, I, that's what the feeling i got from it it's just, just being play. playful i think yeah i yeah. see yeah i suppose you could take it that way and perhaps i was looking at it a little too seriously it's a uh, somebody who's been staring at the script for a while who's had to live in it for like a few months trying to do something fun with something very familiar to, to themselves <laughs> i think that the now that you bring it up i actually think the attempt's really noble to integrate those two things and to bring the direct quotes from Romeo and Juliet into the context of the Sailor Moon fic. It's just that I feel like the transitions could have been smoother. Well, continuing on with the action, since Taiki is pulling the strings behind casting, obviously Minako gets Juliet and Yatin gets Romeo. Yatin is very leery of playing opposite Minako because they consider Minako to be like, you know, well, they've had bad experience with Minako, like, chasing dating any starlight just for kind of the fame factor and the like romance of it which is from the the anime that is like literally thing yes a thing minako has done brazenly this, this fanfic brazenly mm-hmm. <laughs> this fanfic is very good about its continuity yeah um it makes some reference to very specific things but anyway yeah. Jan's leery about it but is you know is kind of forced into continuing and they they do their first like blocking rehearsal with Taiki, who is obviously a terrible slave driver of a director who a you would like not watch. Oh yeah. Director. I mean, wants them to memorize the blocking in one week and also all the lines of that scene. Taiki's also like, yes, we are blocking the first act today. Everybody, like, 
like Taiki doesn't need to see the actors, just like knows exactly what they want everybody to do and like expects everybody to memorize it immediately. Like has the blocking figured out and wants everybody else on their page by the end of the week. Right. Man. <laughs> That's insane, yeah. I mean the the to be fair, I feel like the act the author is not trying to cover up the ways in which some of these characters are shitty. Yeah. Like Early on, when Taiki's bullying Yatin and taking the role, like, they have, like, no one's gonna understand this, Yatin whined. Like, you know, the characters the characters die at the end and all this stuff. Granted, I loved it. Like, Yatin's being all, you know, superior about it. Yeah. And the, the fact that, yeah, here's, here's Taiki. Taiki marched back and forth in front of the orchestra pit, tapping a rolled-up copy of the script in one hand. He frowned as he examined his troops, who nervously shuffled back and forth and murmured among themselves. At first, everybody had been excited to have a celebrity as the director, but rumors that Taiki was a legendary stickler for perfection had quickly spread. Now, as the nervous cast quivered under his icy glare, it seemed as if everyone's worst suspicions had been confirmed. And it's like, yeah, they were. You know, and that that's an interesting line, because I feel like it's a little bit like the comedy of Sailor Moon. Yeah, for sure. It really captures it, and it captures the character. But, um, yeah, you really get that... As the story, like at first, you're like, okay, haha, that's kind of funny. So the story goes on. Taiki consistently is like <laughs> considered to be horrible, just like horrible. Like all of the cast is just like, wow, this is like really bad. And so I love how the author kind of continues to drive home the fact that it's not, first it's funny, and then it's like kind of just awful. Case in point, they go through act one as directed, exactly. And, you know, that includes the kiss on the balcony scene. Mm-hmm. And later on, like, Taiki's cooking spaghetti back at the Three Lights apartment to celebrate, and you know, they're talking about it, and Yatin mentions that, like, oh, yeah, like, I guess it wasn't too bad having to stage-kiss Minako. And Taiki's like, you stage-kissed her? Mm. That, you know, it, like, starts beating him over the head with a spatula in a slapstick scene. Mm, but it's yeah. like, I guess Taiki does not understand how theater actually works. Apparently not, no. <laughs> Taiki is convinced that he must actually kiss Minako with passion in order for the scene to work. Well... But there's a reason for this that we discover later. Yeah, uh, Taiki's reasoning isn't proper drama pr- procedure. Yeah. No. Proper theatrical procedure. But we don't know that at the time. We can kind of guess at that at that time. Yeah, <laughs> so it's very weird. It's clear at this point to everyone that something's going on. Like, Yaten and Minako are not oblivious to the fact that, like, or Yaten in particular, that Taiki's acting super weird about it. And they figure out pretty soon that, like... um like they they're they're apparently pawns in something or other. Yeah, they figure out that Taiki and Ami are both in on something involving them and the play. Yeah, they confront Ami about it in fairly short order too. And somewhere in here, Yaten like kisses Minako out of the blue, just to like it's kind of weird. Well, Yaten um, actually takes Taiki's advice. And that's the funny part is like it was before I think any suspicion was truly expressed. Actually. I suppose. So the first thing that happens is Yatin calls Minako up and is like, meet me here, and then very forcefully kisses her yeah. without asking. Unexpectedly. It's very inappropriate. It's not great. Not, not good. But anyway. It's a little surprising because you'd think Yatin would just never, ever kiss Minako out of contrariness. That sounds more like Yatin. But I guess we're supposed to, it's supposed to be understood that there is some kind of attraction at play also, I guess. I, I think we're supposed to think that, but I don't get that impression. I, I don't know where I got this. I might have invented this idea in my head mm-hmm. <laughs> that maybe Yatin wanted to 
Because Taiki said that you're going to kiss on stage. Right. That Taiki, that Yatin maybe wanted to start it off on their own terms first before having it being forced on stage. I guess that that seems like a fair read. That that would be an okay reason if there's no indication of that in the story at all. <laughs> it's really not well explained that no. particular scene. I feel like that's kind of the, one of the weakest points in the romance that's going on here. It was a bit of a bit of forced romance, I guess. Yeah, it's a jarring. I I think it it's you know you know aside from the lack of consent if there had been consent in this scene could have been a fine scene if you'd seen it you in a certain context you might have extrapolated romance from it but there was no context or build up for a romance between them at all because Yatin has only said mean things about Minako and like Minako has only been herself which is like Oh, they're so cute, like, basically about everybody. So you don't get an impression that there's going to be romance here. Mm-hmm. So it's a weird scene. And then, having kind of met up and compared notes about the situation like that, they do confront Ami, and Ami says, Okay, so here's the thing. Taiki and I are both taking the same psychology class at college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just on the side, like we do, because we're we're brainiacs and that's that's what we do we're both going to tokyo u for extra credit classes which i don't think is how any of that school system works yeah, yeah i also nice. don't think you just kind of switch around your school clubs in japanese high school very often but you know we'll, anyways. we'll let it slide yeah um and so ami says look we're doing a psychological thing and like the play is involved but we can't talk to you about it because that would ruin the experiment all of which is literally true yeah but they still yeah. walk away from it being like ami yeah, that was not the whole story here. Uh, if I, if someone said that to me, I would just dip completely. Oh yeah, like, I'm out. Yeah, like seriously, lose my number. <laughs> well, see, uh, look, I do not think that uh, the experiments they're actually doing would pass the institutional review board to get clearance for the research. Which, mm-hmm. to jump ahead, they actually mentioned that. Yeah, which, which I, I liked very much. There's certain ethical conflicts at play. Yes, uh, one thing definitely being, like, not telling the people that you are doing any kind of psychological right. experiment on yes. them. And also the fact that they couldn't control any outside tractions at all, so makes it kind of worthless as an experiment. And they do mention that later, but yeah. we'll get to what the experiment was. I will say, it's, at this point, like, the investigating together is actually where the romance starts to build, because it's, like, shortly after that kiss, and they decide to investigate together. It's where Yachin actually gives Minako a compliment. It's like, I want you on my side because I think you're smart and I think you can figure this stuff out with me because I've seen you be sneaky. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, that's where they sort of start to bond is in their investigation. Yeah, and Minako gets that moment where she's like, I will figure this out to protect you from mm. like people doing you harm, like our friends doing you harm. Yes. Like Maybe they should have done that part before the kiss in the morning part. I think that would make Probably, sense. Probably, yeah. yeah. That would have been the buildup. Because, yeah, I do, I do feel like that's where the romance came in is then they right. had... They had a, a goal together, and they complimented each other for the first time and all that. But over the course of the fanfic, Minako doesn't get that far with it, and Yahan kind of stops trying. Uh, eventually, Yahan's just kind of hanging out with Minako and, like, letting her do the heavy lifting. Yeah, they, they, hang, out with, they, they hang out with each other uh, between scenes after when they're uh, rehearsing. They, they have a sp- like, when you're recording a play, a lot of times you find some space uh, backstage where you can sit down by yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then they mm-hmm. found they have their own little alcove they, they hang out in, which is very relatable. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the main plot thread until things come to a head. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's going on is Sailor Anima Mates, baby, my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. They were also here. They were all, Well, they don't get much to do. <laughs> like, Lead Crow and Aluminum Siren get a scene. 
And based on... They get their own Shakespearean scene, too. They do. Mm. And I was not... Comp- Sometimes the Shakespeare works better than others. <laughs> Led Crow has this quote. And, you know, it's Friar Lawrence in the original. Mm-hmm. And he's looking mm-hmm. at plants, right? And he's, he's a dude who knows poisons. Well, they're talking about seeds. So. Right. So his yeah. line is... Well, that's true. That's why they did it, right? <laughs> right. Isn't but, it? But Friar Lawrence originally says, Oh, mickle is the powerful grace that lies in herbs, plants, stones, and their true qualities. For not so vile that on the earth doth live, but to the earth some special good doth give. So it's like, any plant is useful for something. Right? Yeah. That, that's the meaning there. Yeah. Um, Which is not the meaning of their starseed search. No, well, the, mm, no. It, it doesn't make any sense, because Led Crow says, Oh, mickle is the powerful grace that, fly, that lies... I'm sorry. Oh, mickle is the powerful grace that lies in athletes, artists, and students, and their shining starseeds. For not so brilliant that on the earth doth live, but to the earth some special good doth give. You're just inserting Sailor Moon words there. It doesn't make sense if you say they are so brilliant that that they still provide the earth some good. You have to have a negative word there, like vile, to say they're not so vile, but they that they don't provide some good. Right? Yeah, that was a strange they did, scene. They too. did Led Crow wrong. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, well... That's fine. (laughs) I mean, this comes in again to where I was feeling about the insertions. I felt like they were... Yeah, they're for fun. They're like, where can we put these words? But they don't always fit. Because it it is kind of hard to find a place to fit Romeo and Juliet into this narrative. Like... And there's no direct villains in Romeo and Juliet. There's the warring families. So to have, like, a plot structure such as Sailor Moon where there's, like, a clear evil and it's attending to it, intending to attack upon all parties, mm-hmm. it's just a different plot structure. So trying to extrapolate the text for, from one plot structure to another, it, I, it was reaching, I suppose. Yeah, the whole concept is very reaching. And the only thing there is that Led Crow is going to attack the head of the drama department. And Aluminum Siren, who knows Usagi's identity at this point, is like, that won't work, Crow-san, but I'm not trying to be mean saying that, and I know you're probably going to try it anyway, so good luck. <laughs> right, continuity. Yeah, oh, it's, it's very firm on its continuity. Yeah. At that very specific moment in time. And so that leads back into, you know, more or less the climax of the story, which is going to be opening night. Um, and... The Outer Senshi show up to watch for just a couple of reasons. Um, for one thing, there was a premonition from Hotaru, you know, like you'd think she would have if she was actually a character. <laughs> if Hotaru right. was actually a character. Right. Yeah. Which in Sailor Stars, she really, really isn't after the first six episodes. It's so disappointing because I always wanted her to be so badly. Like her relationship with Chibi Usa, I wanted that to be such a thing. Wanted to be something. Something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's I know really so many weird. people who really like her, but I feel like they like her based on aesthetic, because like oh, she no, doesn't she, have. She, no, she's a character in S. Well, a it's little just that bit, stars... yeah. But then she kind of she drops off. She's right? Yeah. So she was a, she, she, but then you know she was like sort of a character, you know, because she had to grow back up and in and, stars. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right? She's sort of a character. Mm-hmm. It, it's one of those characters like Pluto, where she's good for fan fiction because you can do pretty much whatever you want with her because mm-hmm. they sure didn't <laughs> yeah uh anyway i like the other reason why they came to this oh i guess it's like the final dress rehearsal or something no this is opening night is it opening night the, well they also come to a rehearsal oh they point. come to a rehearsal and like right um usagi asks them like oh why didn't you come to the, like the night before when they had the cool balcony scene and 
Haruka's like, because Mercutio dies in this act. Because yeah. Seiya and Haruka have that great hate mance going on in stars. Yeah. <laughs> Can't stand each other. And anyway, they're rivals. I was confusing them, but opening night. Opening night, um, they're putting on a play. There's not a... N- nothing much else happens besides that, like, like crew attacks, right? I mean, that's the main thing. Yeah, there's not too much that happens well, in this story. A lot of it is sort of, um, I don't want to say set dressing, but just sort of like little bits that talk about what it's like to work on a high school play. That is true. <laughs> Where it's just talking about the, like, they mention the background all the time. It's just different people working on different carpentry tools, making the backgrounds, and mm-hmm. people getting paint on their, on their clothes and trying to memorize lines and deal with this jackass director. Makoto chasing yeah. some secondary, like, cast member trying to fit them for yeah, their I, outfit. Yeah, I need your measurements. Come back here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, a lot of the flesh of the story is, like, it's either, you know, Yatin's individual stuff or uh, Minako's individual, individual stuff or them together, or it's actual, like, them rehearsing the play and in which we get big swaths of the lines of Romeo and Juliet, which is what we get now that they're performing. Mm. So not a lot happens plot-wise, but we get the plot of Romeo and Juliet, so it kind of fleshes it out more. And i just like to emphasize before we go into this action that, like, Minako and Yatin had a, a scene. I said Ma- Minako was like, I will protect you from, like, um, you know, I, I guess our friends doing weird stuff, which is a weird thing to say. If something yeah. goes wrong, I will protect you. Right, she says. That's pretty much what they say. I promise that I will protect you. It's my job. It's what I do. And besides, you were the one who asked me to help you in the first place. And that em- that resonates with Yatin in terms of, like, their failure to protect their own planet from Galaxia and that sort of thing. But Yatin also says, if something bad happens, I will protect you. Yeah. Now, if you're kind of sort of hanging out with someone who you might be romantically interested in how weird is it to be like if something dangerous happens i will protect you it's super weird yep also they're both main characters in a superhero show so also not weird at all okay i guess yeah. that's fair that's what i was gonna say it's like, yeah if this was real life but it's sailor moon but this so. is part of the, the trope that like the person with the secret identity says i will protect you with my superhero powers but mm. not in those words right and so Obviously, what happens is Led Crow comes in in her extremely classy outfit because all the animates have super awesome civilian fashion mm-hmm. and attacks the uh, the the head of the drama department, who is just about as important as these characters usually are in Sailor Stars, <laughs> which is to say she has a walk on appearance just for the sake of getting attacked. That's really about I'm sure it. Sure, not who, who is that character when it happens, right? Um, and. You know, Led Crow pieces out like you do because it's not a true star seed, whatever that it's is. Not? Yeah, I know. Shocking. <laughs> None of these random side characters have the one important plot device inside them? Look, that's one of the things about the star's plot that is just sheer nonsense because, like, for the body <laughs> of it, you're supposed to believe that the animates don't really know what they're looking for, but it seems very clear that Galaxia knows that you're going after Sailor Senshi and. It's not hard to find the Sailor Senshi. What, just like in a few other seasons where they have the exact same plot, it's not the main characters? <laughs> it, yeah, well, it, 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 hey, in S, it is some of the main characters. Yes. But then they pull some bullshit shenanigans and don't have them die from it. Right, yeah. Yeah. Instead, they pull themselves back together and parade around town. <laughs> and then don't use their sword and mirror often enough. Right. Yes. And they try to kill some children. And S is a good season, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so this character becomes a fa-fage. In my mind, it's always Faji, because that's the Japanese. Faji. But it's a phage. 
and, Fat Fodge. And turns into... Whatevs. Sha- uh, and turns into Sailor Shakespeare, which is perfect. No, you had it right. Sailor Shakespeare. <laughs> I'm just going to edit that out, Amato. <laughs> Sailor Shakespeare, yes. I mean, just one word, I'll auto-tune your whole speech. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it, too. Uh, I mess up what I'm saying often enough that you get to do it, too. Yeah. <laughs> Sailor Shakespeare is exactly what you would expect. Except they've got a sword, and I would have expected them to have a pen. If I had been writing it, they would have had a pen. I think an epee would be appropriate. Uh, let's compromise on a pen and a sword. Yes. But yes. the pen is mightier than the sword. The pen so... would clearly be mightier than the Which sword. Which is definitely yeah. something they, they would shout at one point. Yes, that is exactly what they would mm, shout. Yes, yes. Um, they do shout some things. Like a giant pen would definitely be... It would be huge, right? <laughs> Almost certainly. Like, this, they have a sword, and the sword gets knocked out of the hands, and all of a sudden they have a giant no, pen. I can yes, literally that, that, visualize. That would be perfect. It's like a yeah. pen the size of a glaive, and they're holding it under their arm as you would, like, a bow staff. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And then Minako and Yaten, who are being attacked by this get to do the thing where neither one wants to abandon the other, but they can't transform in front of each other because that's next episode. And they still manage to defeat the five-phage. Yeah, just by basically taking turns hitting it with (laughs) With objects that are lying around. (laughs) Like a flower pot. (laughs) Yeah, they they stun lock it until Sailor Moon arrives. Yeah, and, you know, you get that... You get the comic scene where, like, everybody else comes in and does their introduction. It's like, Sailor Moon, Mars, Mercury, you know, Venus, whoever, Uranus, Neptune, Starfighter, Starmaker. And then Minako and Yatin are like, yeah, we already beat it. And then I imagine that the sweat drop, you know, yeah. you'll fall. <laughs> it's a very stars moment. This is the same one that had the joke about everybody not fitting into the, the kitchen in, like, one of the episodes where they're trying to fight a Faji in there. And it's just, like, crammed full of Sailor Senshi. It's a good joke. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is a good use of that. Everybody jammed it into the green room. Yeah. Sailor Moon purifies it. They get to finish the show. And then at the end of it... Well, they also have a little detail. Like, they ripped the dress that uh, Minako was supposed to use so they can fix it, but not at that time. So they had to use a different dress for scene one. They're going to change for scene two. Oh, very theater. Very theater. That, yeah. that, that's the exact note I wrote down. Very theater. <laughs> very yeah, theater, much like drama. The, the author had very specific interests they were going for here. <laughs> theater was definitely one of those. Mm-hmm. And then, as people are congratulating them or whatever, they solved the case because Minako had Artemis go rifle through Ami's stuff while the show was happening. You think they could have done that during an audition before? You or a rehearsal? That, right? You think that could have been done long before? Well, I guess Ami wouldn't be distracted enough from her stuff because she wasn't actually in... Well, she was doing light and sound. Yeah, she's doing light yeah. and sound. Oh, yeah, she would have been really distracted. There's opportunities. Yeah. For sure. Stuff goes wrong in theater all the time. Sure. I didn't mean for that to sound ominous, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily this isn't theater, Dom, so... Right. This is just theater of the mind. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> and, Dom, do you want to try to explain what exactly the psychological experiment was that was going on here? Uh, so, they both read... What's it called? Six Characters in the Search of an Author... By Perandello. Perandello, which was an experimental Italian playwright from the 1920s. Um, let me pull up the Wikipedia article for that play. Basically, that play is a meta theater production where it's about a director and a, and a theater troupe working on something, and then while they're working on something, six characters from an unfinished story approach them to finish. Uh, telling their story and putting it on as a play. Uh, eventually, throughout the whole thing, they the characters argue 
about the fact that they can't play themselves, the actors have to play them, and that the actors aren't doing it wrong, and there's a breakdown between uh, characters and directors and actors in this. And, yeah, did you want to add something, Tori? I was going to say, there's a weird extrapolation that happens from this, which is that Ami and Taiki form a hypothesis. Or they're debating a hypothesis. Well, what they're saying is that an actor that portrays a character has to, at some point, become that character in order to portray it. Which I think is kind of the opposite of what Perindia was talking about most of the time, but also yeah. a fair interpretation, I think. Well, it was interesting. It was like kind of that interpolation element mm. of, you know, actor and media. But this is kind of what you expected all along, because they're clearly investigating these two people, and they've been set up as the leads in this great epic romance. Right. So their hypothesis was that if we set these two people up as romantic leads opposite of each other, they would fall in actual love together. Right, and Taiki is saying they can't help but do that just by playing the roles of Romeo and Juliet well. Right, and Ami says there's a bunch of outside factors that contribute into, this, in, into these sort of things. And obviously, when this is all like thrown in front of them and they have to you know, like apologize and fess up, the conclusion they come to is, oh, actually, our experiment was fatally flawed and there were like a million external factors and it's impossible to identify what was the cause of these two kind of dating now. Well, they sort of say that, but they also well, just sort of argue with one another. The quote is, um, who cares? In this case, because there were so many external factors contributing to this outcome, the results were, were corrupted anyway. Yeah. I so mean, they acknowledge that this is a shitty experiment. Right. Yeah. It's like, that, that's totally true. <laughs> yeah. But you'd think you would have seen that when you were setting up the experiment. Right. If like, you have an IQ of 300. Yeah. <laughs> 300. They also argue with one another, though, because um, Ame's argument is interesting. Because it's the fact that um, they had to have this great love first in order to portray this great love on stage. Mm -hmm. Or rather that, like, the seeds of love were there and the play brought it to fruition. Whereas Taiki thinks the play created the love from the staging love to begin with. And it's just super funny in that because it's like, yeah, there's, like, put aside any external factors you could argue that no matter what, because you just don't know what's in their heads. Like, you don't know what they were feeling or thinking before. Yeah. Like, And what was fun about this was the story proposes a philosophical problem, presents arguments for both sides, and then doesn't give you an answer. Doesn't The story doesn't say one way or the other is correct or not, but leaves you with both in order for you to wonder for yourself. Yeah. And it's great, too, when you see Taiki and Ami arguing, because... Um, Minako and uh, Yaten are there. And the whole time, you don't even know if they actually have a romance. Like, they, it hasn't fully been established. Like, they've definitely developed some sort of friendship, but... It's implied, I think. They they enjoy kissing each other a lot, they mentioned, and they steal away a lot of moments together. It's, sure, sure. It's but implied they in, haven't, the, in the language. They haven't confirmed whether, in public, whether they're going to continue this romance. They do that yeah. after the fact. Yeah, their Facebook status has not yet changed. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, of course, after this... and it won't for some time because it's the year 2000 or no i guess it's the year 1996 or 1997 anyway after the taiki ami argument you know obviously it has to be said minako coughed again drawing their attention look i'm glad that you two resolved managed to resolve your academic differences but let's get a few things straight here one i do not like being referred to as a subject a result or an outcome two i resent the fact that you were both spying on yachten and i for nearly a month Three, if you two don't apologize by bringing me a triple fudge sundae for lunch every day for the next three weeks, I'm afraid that I will have to hate you both for the rest of my life. Getting off pretty lightly there, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And Yatin says, no ice cream for me. I don't eat that crap. Because, of course, friggin' Yatin. But caviar would be nice. Russian caviar. <laughs> That's too much caviar. <laughs> <laughs> Every day. It's too salty. A lot of people don't want crackers. Yeah. And so, yeah, like you were saying, Tori, then on the way out the door, they get to have a conversation about their relationship status, uh, basically. And, you know, Minako repeats the promise to always protect you, and Yatin sees the steel will burning deep inside of her. I forget where the conversation is exactly, but it's like, yeah, I basically can, like, are we in a relationship? Like, basically, I consider that we are. And Minako's yep. like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then, but it ends on kind of a weird, sour note. Well, okay. Yeah. It, it's a funny note. Well, basically, the sweet thing about this, the thing I like and want to praise is like, they basically go, so I'll always protect you, so I'll always protect you. So mm-hmm. it's a ring back to that whole thing. But in this sense, it's like truly emphasizing that they're in a relationship, which is sweet. Yeah. And, and I like that it's like kind of casual. It's like, we've been hanging yeah. out, we like each other, let's like kind of make it official. And that's not a way you get most romance stories, right? Yes. I, I like that part too. But then Yatin sort of like, hey, would you like me if I wasn't always a boy? Which she is like... To, to be fair, good thing to get out yeah, of the air right here. Honestly, really, like, it's funny because it rings true to so many of the, like, the stuff you deal with being a trans person, like, having to be like, hey... Are you attracted to me based on the genitals you expect me to have? <laughs> because if so, if so, like we should clear that up right away. That might not be what you're expecting. Um, but Minako kind of laughs it off, like "haha, that's silly." They didn't handle it well. It, it's a yeah. worse quote than that, but yeah, it's it's not good. Oh yes, she said, "I never knew you had a, such a sick sense of humor." So, yeah, not great. I expect the author would do that differently the next time. And so that's the end of the plot of the fanfic. Now, because we went through the fanfic fairly quickly, I think there's stuff we can go back to more specifically than usual for things that we want to complain about or praise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess complaints are what we usually do first. That's the style, yeah. Yes. There is... This thing where the author doesn't really get Japan that shows up sometimes. Yeah. Are we going to share that one between the three of us? Or? Uh, I actually have a separate one that I want to do. Okay. Which is that at the end of the... During the reveal about uh, Ami and Taiki's bet, there is a thing where like, oh, but it's more than just like academic, you know, intellectual stuff. They made a bet of 5,000 yen... It's a 5,000 yen bet. Um, that sounds like a large number, yeah. It's it's about 50 bucks. $50, yeah. yeah. They made a $50 bet. Was I, it this exchange rate the same in like the 90s? Thing? It's been it's around 100 yen for yeah, a long time. It has, right? 100 yen to the it ranges dollar, from yeah. 80 to 130 yen a dollar. Ah, all right, there you go. It's like that's, I mean, I guess I haven't made a lot well, of $50 bets in I my mean, life, so it maybe it'd be a big but deal. they're high school students. High school, like, they're yeah. like high school freshmen. Oh, like, yeah, one $50 of them is, would be a ton of money. One of them is a nationally famous pop star, so. Yeah. Oh, and Ami's parents are rich. Ami's well, mother is rich, yeah. In the, in the anime? In the manga. Okay, in, in the anime, it's not addressed. Yeah, I was going to say. Maybe Taiki's just a super rich person taking advantage of a poorer classmate for this bet. That's not much mm. better. I don't know. Are they both still rich? Because Ami is clearly rich in the manga. So. I think it, it is still a rich bet for uh, high schoolers, though. I suppose. I, it, it just struck me that, like, if they... If they were rich people, it wouldn't be bad. I think they just didn't 
intended that to be more of like a like to strike me more than it actually does. Yeah, but, uh, it's not striking when you think about the actual amount of money, but then when I had to like stop and think back to high school, I'd be like, I did not have fifty dollars in high school. That's true. Like, no, no. I had a part-time job and I worked really, really hard. And my grades dropped because of it, and still, then I didn't have fifty dollars to spend on anything. You know, okay. yeah, I had to scrimp and save to get a sixty-dollar game. So every time right. that was a big thing. That would be a lot of money. Yes. I, I withdraw that example in favor of a much better example. Okay, uh, Dom, you want to take that example? What are you talking about? Donuts. Oh, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to put this under the whole umbrella. They sprinkle a whole bunch of Japanese in here poorly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't do a good job of it. Um, the during the pr- premiere, which is um, you know happening like Friday night, they have one of the characters say Ohio to each other, mm. <laughs> which is good morning, <laughs> because that's the only thing the characters say to each other. And just inappropriate use of fan Japanese, which I, I think you can go back to a different episode to find my rant on. That. <laughs> Probably, yeah. but there's a whole bunch of um, not understanding Japanese culture. One of them is people being confused by the concept of a knife and fork mm. <laughs> well i they are aliens i guess there are aliens oh. they're also in japan and would have seen knife and yeah. fork and pasta right. at some point beforehand and not talked about them um, like they were weapons of war <laughs> I, you know the thing about ohio is i was gonna go back and say oh that author gave a definition for ohio so they must know what it meant but they think ohio means hello they yeah. say Ohio hello. Not quite. Yeah. So well, there we go. <laughs> well, the, the donut thing is that Usagi brings donuts for snacks. Yeah, yeah. At some point, they bring these things called donuts to people, and they're wondering what these dog nuts are, because <laughs> these Japanese people have never seen dog nuts. It's <laughs> it's not that highlighted, that? but yeah, she has to explain. Oh yeah, it's fried dough in the shape of a circle. It's oh, like, look, my. how how many years has Mr. Donut been in Japan, the, the yeah. chain? And furthermore, how did she find donuts if they were that uncommon? <laughs> like, anyway. Uh, they describe it as a Western treat because mm. they don't know what it is. There you go. Um, ta-da, donuts, donuts. It's a Western treat, explains Saya. Donuts really amount to nothing more than deep fat fried air coated in sugar and frosting. But who cares? They taste good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's not like a big, big scene about it. But it's just like there's a lot of those little things. There's some scenes in Sailor Moon where she eats donuts. <laughs> in fact, yes, we're, we're there pre- are. We're pretty sure she eats donuts in 186, which is like one episode before this takes place in episode continuity. before this one. <laughs> <laughs> they fucking know what donuts are. <laughs> it's not the moon. Eh. <laughs> it's Japan. <laughs> eh. the, the other thing, if I'm not, if I'm going to be complaining about something else... I think there was too much attention paid to summarizing Romeo and Juliet. Because in a lot of the scenes, they're kind of talking through the rehearsals, but they spend a lot of time just saying, like, oh, yeah, they were up on stage doing this scene, and this is what the scene is in Romeo and Juliet, and here's a lot of text from that scene. I think it was fair. I think these are... They're talking about experience about going through a production... Putting on a production of Romeo and Juliet. They could have gone a lot more into it. I think they were uh, fairly conservative with, with what they did. But there were basically scenes where it was just they talked about these characters acting out certain parts of the play. I think they just wanted you to experience that part of the play with them. It's a uh, matter of taste, I guess. <laughs> where I'm at with that, you know, this was going to be kind of... I think I've already stated my criticism of bringing in lines from Romeo and Juliet, which is it could have been done better. Um, so where I'm at with that is, like, there's a lot of abruptness. Like... 
I think that if this had been done as a parallel plot to Romeo and Juliet, like as if scenes had run parallel, then bringing in actual dialogue from the play would have made more sense rather than reappropriating reappropriating it into completely different situations. And furthermore, the plot descriptions would have fit a little bit better. So I felt like it was a little bit here and there and here and there to go completely from Shakespeare to this author's story and back again, considering the stories did not run parallel. I don't think they were trying to parallel Romeo and Juliet. They were trying to do their own meta-theater take on uh, the concept of actors working a scene. Because talking about uh, Perendillo specifically talks about the relationship between actors and the piece they're performing. So it's more about these actors going through these scenes than about the story of Romeo and Juliet specifically. Oh, yes, certainly. And and if they just stuck to that, the actors going through the scenes, it would have been fine. But reappropriating the dialogue for different scenes... Yeah, Tori moved back to that as their complaint, I think. Yeah. <laughs> right. So th- that's two different things then. Not right. talking you're, about... You're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, I guess I didn't clarify particularly. My point was is that they shouldn't have done both. That's if they fair. just expressed the scenes mm, I see as mean. they existed and continued with their own plot, that would have been fine. But using the dialogue in a different way in different scenes, like reappropriating the language, just made it convoluted, yeah, is what I was trying to say. That would have been more appropriate to like a slapstick uh, take on it instead of a more semi-serious psychological look at the theater. Yeah. 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 I see. And also they're using the appropriation of Shakespeare's dialogue in multiple ways, which makes it extra confusing. So you just picked one way and gone with it. Yes. Yeah, I can understand that for sure. In terms of using the actual scenes from Romeo and Juliet, I guess I can be thankful they weren't going full theater experience and like having the characters, you know, deliver a scene and then having the director be like, great, now do it again. Change this. (laughs) (laughs) And like they, they do the whole scene and Taiki's like, do that again, but stand three more feet to the left over there. This time, don't raise your arm as much. <laughs> uh-huh. This time, try putting the emphasis on the, this other word. Uh, line. <laughs> uh, how about stuff to praise in the fanfic? I appreciated the theater experience. Mm-hmm. It, I got nostalgic for it. It's been a while since I've been on stage. And I started getting the, the jimmies for it again. <laughs> I, just... I, I am going to be in uh, South Pacific coming up. And, uh, oh, that's cool. great. In Forest Grove coming up. You know, Dom, let's talk about that and the Piricelli principle. What's it called? Uh, what are they talking about here? The characters in search of an author? Pirincello. Pirincello. Which isn't exactly. Pirincello. Which isn't an actual principle. It's what Ami and Taiki called it. Okay. Well, what I'm getting at is yeah. when you played, say, a singing pirate in Pirates of Penzance. Yes, yes. Um, did you find yourself thinking about engaging in any piracy or possibly <laughs> yeah. singing in inappropriate situations? See, finally. Funnily enough, in Pirates of Panzans, we're supposed to be bad comedic pirates. That's true. And so I was actually in that mindset of trying to be as bad and comedic as possible, Mm. (laughs) including things like where they're pointing at the sun, I look in the wrong direction. (laughs) (laughs) I think being alive to any extent involves an element of playing a role. Mm -hmm, Like we're playing the podcast roles. It's not like we're not limiting ourselves in a certain way on what we're saying now. I'm not talking about all of my like extraneous emotional woes. I'm in podcast mode. Yeah. So there's there's normally much more crosstalk. (laughs) Yeah. It's just the thing, right? Yeah. It's very young. Yeah. For me, I think the most fun thing about the fanfic other than, um, a continuity geek liking continuity geekery is just that 
the ways in which stars are good are the characters hanging out and being like teens bouncing off each other and often being shitty teens and it being fun and funny. And that this fanfic has that. It like captures the fun part about stars. Yeah, I kind of think this fic is good enough that kind of puts me into like editor mode. Mm-hmm. Like I think one or two more passes and we could have made this fanfic a lot better. Yeah, but but I see what you mean. It's entertaining. Yeah. It's entertaining to read. It's fun to read. Um, I can more or less buy the author shipping Minako and Yaten, which is... Which I personally did not see in the show at all, I think. Um, you can extrapolate it from about six seconds of the <laughs> show. I wouldn't extrapolate that, no. It's <laughs> like a scene that's five seconds long when they're playing cards that is almost <laughs> almost chemistry. Uh-huh. No? <laughs> no? Just me? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one of those relationships where you have to put in the work. And yeah. the author did... Uh, I mean, I appreciate that like it literally has to be engineered in the first place in the fanfic. And that having been the case, it's easier for me to buy it. Yeah, because like <laughs> a lot of these shipping fanfics are like heavily engineered. But it's like if you go in with the promise, if you go in with the premise that the entire thing is heavily engineered by the people in it, mm-hmm. then it's easier to buy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because like I wouldn't buy it if it's just like, oh yeah, Yachin starts hanging out with Minako willingly. Yeah, yeah, but unwillingly, I can buy. That's true. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they set the romance up very well. And and they followed through with that, and they they made it work in a way that was believable. That that's pretty praiseworthy. And you know, despite the fact that I've had some uh, <laughs> criticism of the way a lot of the quotes from Romeo and Juliet were used in here, I really admire that the author had such a strong knowledge of those quotes, used them in ways like even when the context didn't make sense for them, they did their best to adapt them to that dialogue. I felt it was a very noble effort. And then they went through and followed through with footnotes for any, really any possible, you know, note you could have at the end. I don't know if they extrapolated that from another text they were reading from that also had footnotes or if they looked them up on their own or, you know, from their own experience. But I admired that they put footnotes to like any Shakespeare jokes in here and any, you know, references of the time because I'm a nerd for that. But also because it takes a lot of effort. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I also mentioned that I really appreciated that the author has what I think is the correct interpretation of Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) Which is Romeo and Juliet are stupid assholes, and it's not really that much of a love story. Oh yeah, I mean, I I think that's. Am I even thinking that's the the normal like common interpretation? <laughs> not if I trust every other rom com I see. I mean, because there's they're like fourteen year olds who make a stupid mistake. I mean, it's not really a mistake. I mean, of course they they're infatuated with each other, and it's not wrong to go against their families, but they kind of go about everything very badly. And like that's more, why it's a tragedy, right? In right. more common society, they're supposed to be seen as tragic lovers rather than young dipshits. Well, but Shakespeare intended <laughs> they can be both. They could be. In my impression. They kind of are, but yeah. But yeah. I, I think I guess they're both. is one of my favorites mostly because how everybody else is fed up with this young love bullshit. <laughs> and how I think the yeah. voice of the author is really um, Mercutio and the apothecary at the mm-hmm. end that really talk about how, okay, they're stupid, but also y'all are stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always thought that was supposed to be the, like the clear thing with Romeo and Juliet. It's, it's not a great love story, it's not really about their love. It's more about what a toll it takes for these families to be worrying that 
these two young people, like literally like 14 years old, destroyed their whole lives because of their warring families. It's not really about them being in yeah. love. I definitely believe that if you thought about it critically, that's where you'd come out. But I'm not sure everybody else agrees. <laughs> well, I think that was the intended message. I, I definitely think so, too. Yeah. I just, think just like with the whole plague on both your houses. Fuck all yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's where you kind of have to... Like, I don't know. That's where you have to land if you thought about it at all. But I guess I sort of understand that in the popular culture, there's maybe, like, a common misconstruction well, of Because, like, there's rom-com movies out there, like Letters to Juliet, where there's this urban legend where they write letters to Juliet and their love gets fulfilled or something. And mm-hmm. so it's like, you're really not really? understanding it. Really? Yeah. Really. Wow. That seems like a bad... really shocking to me. Right. Yep. I've seen more bad rom-coms than I like. I might be out of touch. I didn't mean a bad premise. I just <laughs> meant, to think like, I'm out of touch. I just meant a bad subject of your prayers and hopes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. A fictional character that doesn't know what they're talking about. <laughs> well, next week we are discussing other star-crossed lovers, both figuratively and literally. I see what you did there. Yep, yep. With the Ursa Yatsura fanfic, Just a Dream. Question You're the one that picks the fanfics. I don't know. I guess they one or not. <laughs> I, I knew I could count on you for that joke. <laughs> the name of the fanfic is Just a Dream with a question mark at the end. A 1992 fanfic by Lewis Burton. Um, I think we'll probably have some stuff to say about it. If you don't get through all of it, don't worry, I will. We'll, we'll talk about it. I may be skimming. That's fine. You can find a link to it on, I think, the Tomobiki Cho website it's still hosted on. bit.ly slash rfrdream. As for this, this was episode 46 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, Romeo and Minako by Kotetsu, a Sailor Moon fanfic. You can find a link there via Wayback Machine, because it's no longer findable online otherwise, at bit.ly slash rfrminako. And basically it's a fun fanfic. I I do recommend reading it, I think. Not too long either. Yeah. If you like Romeo and Juliet or Shakespeare in general, I think it's worthwhile. (laughs) If you're an anime geek and a theater geek... It'll really get you. Also, if you like the Starlights, because old fanfic awards that lasted about two years aside, there's not a whole lot of content for you there. Like, you gotta take what you can get. Gotta say, I'm not a theater geek, but, you know, Shakespeare, Universal. Everyone loves Shakespeare, so there you go. Yes. Everyone loves Shakespeare. I think that was the name of a movie. (laughs) Shakespeare, everyone is in love with. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure that's it. <laughs> the intro song to this podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find this album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And if you have comments, questions, or thoughts about the episode, please contact us one way or another, such as on Twitter at retrofanfic. Facebook at RetroFanfic, via email at RetroFanficRetrospective at gmail.com, or by leaving comments and such on your Apple Podcasts or other podcast service that you use. I'm Amato. I'm Torio, like Romeo. Get it? Uh, I'm Dom and I didn't get it. <laughs> Dom yet? Yeah. Yeah. Dom yet? That sounds Russian. <laughs> <laughs> We are just three Earth life forms to whom the moonlight carries a message of love. <laughs> Until next time, take care. Bye. See ya. But if they turn it off, are, are we dead? If we die, do we sleep? Perchance, no more. We perchance sleep. Dream? Perchance. He beat me to it. <laughs>
Whether it is noble or in the mind. To start with those oh, things and arrows about, about Rage's podcasting. Fortune, podcasting. <laughs>